Good morning, Logan. How are you doing this week? I'm I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. So welcome back again to already. Um, already his sorry. workmanship. Yeah, already his workmanship. I forgot the name of our podcast already in the second week. So uh, <laughs> like we, we did change it about four or five times before we landed on this. We did because our wives didn't like any of the names we came up with at first. So <laughs> that's right. That that look on your face when you tell them what the name of the podcast is going to be, and they just look at you like, "Hmm, uh, really?" <laughs> yes. Yes, the the absolute hate of the podcast names for a few weeks was quite funny. They're too polite to say. They're too polite to say anything too negative. My my wife actually just told me she hated it. So okay, well there you go. Radical. (laughs) There we go. It was was very good, clear feedback. So, um, thanks for joining us again this week. Um, We're going to start off with the homework we gave last week. So, the first question uh, that we asked is, "What is making you angry?" So. What this week is making you angry, Logan? What's making me angry? Well, I mean, the, um, you know, changes on a day-to-day basis. But uh, what generally, we we kind of touched on it last week. Uh, What generally makes me angry is when I feel insecure, um, out of control. Um, And then, you know, it's the things that we really care about that make us angry. The things that I really care about make me angry. A lot of it is with my kids. Um, because um, you know, I was actually sharing with somebody yesterday. I'm 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 actually at a at a church conference this week, and so um, you know, getting to you know rub elbows with a bunch of people that I've I've known for you know 20 years who are all over the United States and you know seven seven other countries, you know, that are planning churches and leading churches and everything like that. So it's really incredibly um, it's incredibly encouraging, but at the same time. It uh, you know it kind of stirs you know you, you give me these things and you really feel like you're going to be in this context of you know with all these great people and, and then you realize like they're just people and you're just a person and just because you went to a conference doesn't mean that you don't have all the same issues that you had before. But anyway, I was just sharing with somebody about you know what often makes me angry is you know I have a I have two older boys that are 16 and 13. And then I have um, a daughter who's going to be turning eight soon. And I have an, an eight month old. And what, what makes me angry is, you know, I, I care about them so much. They're, they're a big part of my life. Um, and I'm not as big of a part of their life as they are about, of mine. They constantly dominate my consciousness and my, my thoughts, and my, my plans. And I don't really rate at the same level in their minds, which is understandable and is normal because they need to be able to have a life outside of me. But it does, I've been, I've been really struggling with um, just these feelings of, of not being appreciated or my, my work and my time and all these things that I've, that I've put into them, not being reciprocated. And even though in my mind, I know that, that it's appropriate for them to be self-centered and to be a little bit selfish because they're learning to acculturate outside of our family. They're learning to connect with peers and friends. And those are the things, the people that are supposed to be um, important to them. I found myself getting, you know, angry and bitter about the things that I do. I drive them everywhere. I do all these different things, things that I should be and am happy to do. But then I've been, I've been having these, you know, these kind of flare-ups. And it reminds me of, 
you know, when, when you first asked me this question, and we referenced it last time when that, on that famous drive back from Fresno um, of this feeling of being out of control. And I think it, it stems from, it stems from this understanding that my, my oldest son is 16. And this is probably the last summer that he's a kid. And I can see the waning influence that I have in his life. And that at a, soon I will have to be an advisor and I'll have to be a mentor, but I will have no control over his life. I won't, you know, he probably won't even be home very much, you know, get into the school year and he'll be in school, probably working as a lifeguard. And then next summer, I doubt I'll see him more often than maybe in passing. If it's anything like I was when I was with my family. And so I found myself even, you know, we're not talking like past tense. I'm talking this week, just really struggling with this. And, and I think they're around this idea that, you know, these people that I love so much, my control and my influence in their life is waning is so anyway that's i know it's a little heavy and I, I didn't talk to todd about this before we you know we we both uh we both uh you know our our kids are a big a big part of our lives um but you know it is it's around that idea of of what can i control and 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 when i can't control that which is very important to me then then that's the that's the outlet the anger comes well, thanks for being so open and vulnerable for something that's so hard. Um, and like, like all my practical advice in it has to go back to like how I would deal with it. My pragmatic chunking through the steps, right? Like, oh yeah, I can't control that. God, I know you passionately care for and love both me and my son. I'm going to let you control that outcome right uh, and trust that you're going to do it and just place all my chunking fear through that like three-step prayer that i have that's like minimized so i can say it fast which is like the i can't handle this i know you can so i'm gonna let you right that's my like quick prayer that i've said a million times in the past you know 15 16 years so um it's not really like it's not a magic bullet right it's something that doesn't feel like it works like very long like when i first started saying that it only worked for maybe 15 seconds at a time right but it'll work for 15 seconds you know so 15 seconds of relief is uh yeah. better than that yeah. and then well, it gets back to yeah, it gets back to you are not god right and that's yeah. my problem yeah i kind of want to be i kind of want to tell people like it's like, I just want to crawl into their head for like five minutes and just start yeah. just make a few decisions, just set things right. And then, and then yeah, I'll, give, I'll give their will, their free will back, which is the, that's free. right. That the, the title of this episode is I'm not God and you're probably not either. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, yeah. So well, how, what about you, Todd? What, uh, let's see what here. The stuff that gets me consistently angry right now is culture war stuff. And it's not what people who aren't Christians are saying that gets me angry. It's what Christians are saying in the culture war that gets me furious. And the fear there is, is that there's an addict out there somewhere that's being harmed by those words that is going to die because when they end up, end up interfacing with me, 
they're too hurt by the words we're putting into the world to receive like the relief that Jesus brings in recovery. Right. And that's, that's my fear, right. Is that that's what's going to happen. Um, ultimately I know those people who are in those situations, they make the choice to feel that way and make the choice to reject everything. But like, I've come to a point in my faith and in recovery where the only stumbling block I'm willing for there to be in faith is Jesus himself, right? He's a big enough stumbling block by himself for, to, for us to put anything else in the way, right? Um, and so that's, that's what consistently gets me angry. And it's just fear because I've seen, seen too many people die, right? Especially once COVID hit, right? Like, you know, my group, my, my group that I was going to in California had consistently 35 to 40 people going to it. And when we opened back up after the lockdowns had come back and we could go meet in person again, it was three of us left. That was, that came right and um there's three of us meeting in person there wasn't even people on zoom much anymore um and we did that for a while and eventually god brought in a bunch of people who were like caught sober during the pandemic right which is totally bonkers to be like yeah i've been sober for three months like the world came to a stop and i was like my life is falling apart i had better start stop drinking right and and all these new people came in and life flooded into the, into the room. And so that was all God, right? But man, it was really devastating to see that. And 18 months later, three of those people were dead. So, um, that, that I had known in recovery, right. And a bunch of other ones were really struggling with their sobriety at the same time. Right. So uh, it was just really hard. Uh, really, really hard to see that's what was happening in that world, right? Knowing, knowing three people that I knew through recovery had passed away uh, from their addictions, and then you know how many people were just struggling out there, right? And and I, I know what it's like to be out there and like and submitted to my addictions, and it's just miserable. It's not not anything good it's hell on earth right and so i don't want anybody to be going through that because i know how hellacious it was for me so that's what consistently makes me mad and then i just have to go back through my things and know that god has control over it that i don't and i go back to a portion of the serenity prayer that says accepting the world as it is not as i would have it no so sorry accepting as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. It's the full thing, right? So, like, I just have to go back to that over and over and over again because it's, you know, blah. Yeah, that, that that's actually come up as a topic during the conference that I've been at. You know, there's there's a couple of speakers, and you know the, you know they of course you know you know politics is very highly charged and everything like that. But it's like this, like respectfully, one speaker said, he's like, respect, respectfully, if I'm going to offend somebody, I want to, I'm going to offend them with the gospel because the gospel is offensive to the world. You know, Jesus said that, like he was killed 
and yeah. he was killed for for the message of love and 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 forgiveness and, re- and yeah. redemption and reconciliation says so if, if i'm going to offend somebody like there's I, there's plenty of things in the gospel that will offend the world why yeah. why am i going to add something to that and yeah. and then you know later in a, in a breakout session that, about preaching the word um one of the speakers names james he leads a he leads a small church he, he was in chicago for a long time as a pastor here and then he in during the pandemic or right before the pandemic he moved to to um east harlem and he's leading a little home church in east harlem and um he said he says uh we should let the let god's word do the heavy lifting he said you know the the scripture the scripture convicts and the scripture um does the great work on its own and it's God's word. So it goes out and doesn't come back null and void. Like, why do we feel the need to use our words to try to, and he said, you know, if, if I can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, somebody will argue them out. Um, and so like, why are we, you know, so obsessed with, you know, putting our opinions out there when, when God's word, God's word is offensive enough to, to many. We can't add anything of value to it. And it's not really the yeah. point because once you introduce them to, you know, to their savior, you know, he does the work of conviction and, and of transformation much better than we ever could. Yeah. I mean, that's why like originally where I was going to call this episode, you're not God. And then I was like, well, I don't know that you're not God. All I know is that I'm not God <laughs> and most likely you're not God either, but I know for sure I'm not right. Yes. Um, I, I know all the way to the core of my being that that's not who I am. Right. So, um, but I can give you the reasons that you can come to that own conclusion yourself. Right. I can't come to that conclusion for you. That's something you have to come to, to yourself. So if I were God, I could control myself. If I were, if I were <laughs> God, I would not, uh, emotionally eat every time I'm super stressed out and constantly be battling with, you know, <laughs> with maintaining a healthy weight you know, yeah, or, yeah. you know, or whatever, or whatever that is, you know, if each yes. person is different, if I were, yes. if I were God, you know, I, I would be able to have victory in the areas that I've struggled in 20 years of my life. Correct. I'm on the exact same boat as you. So, all right. The next question we had <laughs> that you just kind of led right into there was, what do you have control over? Or more appropriately, what do you think you have control over? Because <laughs> the answer is probably something that's not going to be very uh, going to make you feel very good. Uh, what do I have control over? <laughs> um, increasingly, as I become more and more, more mature as a human being, and hopefully that's happening. Um, you have to ask my wife uh, if I'm making any real progress. Um, is that I don't have control over anything. I mean, I think yeah. that I do. I mean, I think I, um, the thing that I've struggled with for a long time is, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a performance guy. Like, so I want to, I want to achieve. I don't know if any of you who are listening have ever done anything with the Enneagram, but I'm a big Enneagram fan. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm trying very hard to not have that, that, uh, that filter into my conversation because it's kind of out of the purview of this, uh, at this point. But if any of you have done any Enneagram, I'm in Enneagram type three. And so we are achievers. And so I, I tend to like to feel like my, that I can control my performance, especially around my work or the things that I care a lot about my work and my ministry. Um, and 
increasingly as I have been a minister, a lay minister, you know, a marketplace guy for longer and longer, I care less and less about work and I care more and more about ministry, um, especially as I get into my 40s. And I think it's a natural thing. They say the first, you know, up to 40, you're mostly concerned with what you can earn and achieve. And then past that, most people start thinking about their legacy, what they're going to leave behind. And for me, it's very binary. I know that nothing I do at work will have any eternal impact um, unless that is, you know, finding a way to, to bless a coworker and to, and to encourage them to come into the kingdom of God. And that the things that I do in ministry have an eternal impact. That's the way that I feel like I can, I talk about plowing my life into the, into, uh, you know, into, into the kingdom. Um, that's, that's how I achieve um, eternal significance and value. But even in my ministry, like feeling like, you know, I, I, I'm constantly reminded when things don't go the way that I wanted them to, or they don't, they don't have the desired effect that it's, I can't even do that. I care so much about it. I love it. It's the greatest privilege of my life, but I can't even control, I can't control what my, the way my words or my time or my prayers or whatever impact the people that I love and care for in the community that I've been called to serve. Um, I can't even do that. So it's um, definitely less than I would, that I'd want as far as what is in my span of control. <laughs> huh. So I'm curious, like prior to us becoming friends, would your answer have been significantly different? Oh, oh yeah. Um, I think when we first met, I felt like I was in control of a lot of things. Um, All right. And so you're, you're getting, sorry, you're getting the post Todd um, uh, answer. Uh, but I think early on, if we're, if we're casting our minds back to when we first had this conversation in question, I would have told you that I could control, you know, I can control uh, my performance at work. Uh, I can control, um, you know, you know, I had always found a way to be successful. Um, yeah. and, and most of the time, you know, most of that I had worked in IT and IT, you know, you have a degree of control, you, or at least you feel like over the systems that you build. Um, and then you think that you have a degree of control about how people are going to use them. Uh, let me disabuse you of that notion. If you do work in technology, you have no idea how the people are going to use them or, or break them. Um, but I definitely liked that idea. And I think to me, my initial connection and my initial draw to be in technology was a desire to create an ordered world and to solve yes. the world's problems with technology. And increasingly, as I spent almost 20 years of my life doing so, realized that the world was more disordered, you know, even though a huge inflection of infusion of technology, the world was less ordered than when I started. Yeah. So evidence like, would suggest that uh, that was not <laughs> a good a good theory. Yeah, I'm just thinking of a client that we had where we spent two years trying to fix their problems, and all their problems were because they had an older set of wireless access points in their network that were still operational, that were causing everybody to drop off. And when you went in, just finally disconnected those like ten APs in their system, it all worked fine. Oh my gosh, uh, like, yes, and, that university. They blamed us for all their poor performance for oh, yeah. like two, two years. years. And like it was super painful. They were so angry. 
and it had nothing to do with us. It had everything to do with them. No, they had left keeping these <laughs> legacy things in their system. Yeah. The right. Contractor like had awful. disconnected them and put them above the drop ceiling. And so they didn't know that they were there. Yeah. And you know, yeah, had nothing to do with us at all. Yeah. So yeah. So about four years ago, when I think of right around the time I first met you, my answer to the question was. I have control whether I give myself over to God that day or to my sinful nature. I can make that choice, right? And then somewhere in that first few months I met you or right before I met you, I was at a meeting and I heard God told me, he actually, you don't have control even over that, Todd. Like you, you choose me because I've given you enough mercy to choose me. If I didn't give you that mercy in that space, if I didn't give you that uh, ability to do it, you would only choose your sinful nature. You wouldn't choose anything else. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, it was like so humbling to hear God tell me that, right? Like, oh, like you couldn't even choose me. Like you you couldn't. If, if I didn't give you uh, my ample mercy, you would only choose your sinful nature. That's who you are. And I'm like, oh, that's really brutal to hear. But it was true. And yeah, so like my answer to the question of what I have to control over is like, yeah, you know, like nothing, right? I don't even have control over whether or not I choose God that day or not, right? But when I am submitted to Christ and I am submitted to his care and control, uh, like I actually deal with situations in the way that like I want to, right? Like the things happen, like. God does for me what I couldn't do for myself and miracles happen over and over and over again. So like all the results that I could have ever like results that are better than I could have ever imagined always happen when I do that. So um, empirically it's really worth doing it right for me. Right. So um, that brings us into the main theme of today's podcast was like i'm not god and you're probably not either and kind of the concept to talk about that is this concept of denial right um i've come to believe that the majority of christians out there that don't have an issue like mine where they're completely addicted to something like porn or alcohol or drugs or or stuff where it's like clearly clearly harming their lives right and they can do that like I had to come out of denial and see that my life was a mess. Um, but it was like really clear, hit a bottom and like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose everything. Like clarity right at that bottom. And, you know, October 14th of 2006 was the first day I, I started entering into that battle of giving my will over to God. It was the first time I did it. Um, you know, haven't been sober that long, but that's the first time I actually started that work. Um, but when I look at stuff, um, for that, you know, um, concept of denial, it, um, the words in Romans, uh, seven eighteen. for I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Um, I, majority of people I talk to really struggle with that concept that their sin results in them not being able to do anything good. Um, I know 
that's who I am, right? Um, but that's the struggle. That's we talked earlier about the major offense of the gospel, and I think that is the first one that is super hard for people to grasp, right? Um, the people who Jesus talked to and healed, like they girl grasp it because they were suffering so much and and such disrespect and like in in such hardship ways they understood it, but a lot of other people didn't. So uh, I kind of want to get your thoughts on that, kind of theologically and experientially yourself. Yeah, I mean <clears throat> the, I mean it, it nips at the it nips at the bud of of. Of, of where all original sin comes from because it's original sin is humanism i mean it's the, the pride that 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 we that we want you know that we want to be god we want to set ourselves up and and what is the what's the enticement of wanting to be god well it's the control it's the it's the um you know elevating ourselves to that position and that's what you know most of western culture wants to do is elevate the position of man and what what our kingdom culture, what, what our Christian culture, uh, you know, what the gospel tells us to do is to actually minimize man and to maximize God because, and to tell us that our, that our, our purpose for being and for being created is to glorify him and to be glorified in our, our weakness, you know, <laughs> our, our weaknesses glorifies him when we have any victory. And so, you know, what you were talking about with the, the idea of, of not even being, having the power to choose him mirrors what we, what we see in the story of the, you know, in the gospel, because the, the gospel is clear that, that we don't even have what it takes to choose him from a, a standpoint of being saved. Like he even does that work inside of us. He opens our eyes, our eyes are closed and he opens them. And so this this um fallacy that we really are any part of it you know because he is actually supposed to be glorified through the entire thing and he does the entire work and we're we're just a submitted party and so there's there's nothing that we can boast about there's nothing that we can that we can take credit for and that's and that and that's it by design and i mean that's that's very difficult for us because we don't you know we we live in a system we believe that we live in a system where we it's results oriented you know we do something it's cause and effect we do something we get the result of it you know we we hit the you know we hit the button and a food pellet drops down inside the guinea the guinea pig cage um and that's that's what what the world tells us that the word that the that everything operates um and then we get into into things that are supernatural and we realize that that's not how things work it's not what you put in x you get out x it's it is we are reliant on him we're reliant on 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 his desire and and his righteousness and it, it doesn't have anything to do with, with us and it's very foreign it's repugnant honestly to to some part you know when we start talking about that even christians when we when you talk to them people who may who may be walking with the lord for a long time you tell them that like they will acquiesce in their minds but their actions are completely inconsistent with it I, that's one thing i love about um you know i don't agree with everything that jordan peterson says but i did i did go through a phase where i listened to him a lot because you know it's just a, a different voice and you know he when people ask him questions sometimes about what he believes he said well i'll tell you what i think i believe 
but you're going to have to observe my actions to find out what I actually believe. So there's this disconnect between that, that even my own internal assessment of myself is probably not accurate because I will tell you what I think. I think this is how I believe, and this is what I, how I think this is what my values are, but my observed actions are contrary to it. And so, you know, we'll do that. We see that in, in the church as well, where we say, oh no, we, uh, you know, it's, it's not about us. It's about him. But then our actions are that it's about us and it's about making this, this personal goal of you know, personal righteousness. And if I do that, then things will go well, or I will have success in my ministry or I'll have success in my family, et cetera. If I just improve myself enough and like, so the actions are not consistent with, with what we say we believe. And that's because that humanism and that, that, that desire to believe that we are God is so deeply ingrained in our hearts that it is not impossible. It is very, very difficult to break with that. Um, And I think that's what I discovered when we started talking about um, recovery, because I had this this visceral denial when you said, well, you know, I mean, you, 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 Logan, read this recovery book and uh, you could get something out of it. And it was like this, it was it was repulsive and offensive to me that you would tell me that I could get something out of a book about recovery. It's like, I'm not an addict, you know, like, well, how could I, you know, it's like as if a book that has truth that's taken from the gospel wouldn't have something for me. I just didn't want to think of myself that way. And I didn't want to think that I could ever be somebody who was addicted to something, but then I observed my life and I have through times in my life been addicted to all kinds of things. And, you know, and then seeing that that's like, that's the devil's plan for this world is to get people addicted into, into bondage to all kinds of things. It's like, I'm a sinner. And what is sin? What is addiction besides taking God off the throne of our lives and putting something else there? Who amongst us cannot admit that they have taken God off the throne in their heart and put something else there and worshiped something else, even temporarily? So, um, yeah, th- that's my thoughts on that, you know. Yeah. That having to come to that realization that, that, you know, it's like, I'm a sinner. Why, why should I care if I'm an addict sinner? Oh, no, no, that that's a bridge too far. I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, ultimately I figured out that my addictive behaviors were really a, um, symptom of my addiction to myself. And that's, that's really what I've been struggling with uh, in long-term sobriety isn't like a day-to-day trigger to look at porn or a day-to-day trigger to drink. It's the day-to-day trigger to like try to do it all on my own so I can be okay and try to take over stuff so I can be okay. Right. Whether it's my relationship with my wife or a relationship with my boss at work or whether or not I make a sale or you know all these other areas where i try to do things right they're always a addiction to self and um, a deep need to try to feel that like i'm okay and safe you know and it took a long time for me to have that faith that just trust that god's going to take care of it all and everything's going to be okay um right and people like i'll tell people the story of like i moved out to delaware with out of job and just trusted that everything would work right. And like the day I moved in, my neighbor 
like who's helping me move in said like you should come work with me and which is what i'm doing now right like that's crazy like like hearing god say i have provision for you don't even worry about it and have it work out right i had like a plan of what i was going to do while i was waiting for god to work it out but like i didn't need it like it was just boom here you go yeah, his plans were so much greater than anything that you could have planned on your own i know it's it's, it's a just an absolute miracle um but like i've had hundreds of absolute miracles right like you know i got moved to california because somebody else turned down a job and i ended up sponsoring that person years later right and like like that's the entire reason why i got moved to california was just to be one guy's sponsor right and then i got to meet you and all these other amazing things happened but i mean really it was just that right and so i'm continuously amazed at how god uses other people's decisions to move his kingdom forward and to love and care for people um and that's what it always comes back to for me is that um you know being less of myself and more of my more focused on god and in and in and, and jesus right so um, and it's a good thing we don't have control at the end of the day yeah. right because how could we orchestrate that how could yeah. we orchestrate the things that the blessings and the miracles that god orchestrates we can't and so yeah. it's it's a good thing we don't have the control because if it was left up to us it would be an absolute mess yeah <laughs> and there's like so many ways that we actually really don't have control that we kind of have to like just understand that that's not real that we're not really going to have control right so um you know and we and it's really hard for us in the system that we live in on a daily basis because the system evaluates us on a meritocracy mm -hmm. right and inherently the christianity kingdom the church as a whole isn't a meritocracy there's not a portion of the body that is elevated above the other portions of the body they're all equally important right the the preacher who's had you know 40 years of experience is just as important as the person who just walked in and became a believer that day that they both serve a function that is incredibly important for the church. Um, and that's like a hard concept for us to wrap our heads around because um, we're always <laughs> measuring who's better, who's all that stuff, right? Um, one of the things I know for you that is happening for you that happened for me is the existential dread of selling something meaningless, right? Because like, you know, everything you're going to sell technology is going to be obsolete in five years and you're going to have to go do a replacement of that same technology five years from now right it's like it's so meaningless and and so filled with like almost nothingness because it only matters for such a short period of time um that's really drilled in that feeling for me i don't know about how it's doing for you so yeah definitely we we you know, we kind of joked about this, that, you know, when I moved into to a similar position to what you had, it was like kind of a 
the refining fire of, of, to me, I've been, I've spent so much of my life uh, obsessed with work, obsessed with, obsessed with, you know, of, you know, and feeling like I wanted my life to, and I wanted my work to be something meaningful and, and, and to, you know, to stand the test of time, you know, and, and, you know, in love with, you know, like building these systems and, and honestly, at some level, just feeling like a lot of the ills of, of the world and of life and, you know, could be solved through better processes and, you know, technology and all of these different things. And then of course, after you do that for long enough, the IT is one of the number, number one burnout careers because, you know, people do it for 20 years and then they do something radically different because they think they realize that the, the TikTok cyclical nature of, of working very hard to do something and then coming back in the next cycle and working very hard to undo everything that you did before, you know, that there's not a lot of long-term, uh, not a lot of, uh, you know, it's not, it's not very gratifying on a long-term scale. And then, you know, having that taken from you, you know, where you really feel like your work is something important. Um, I think I got away with it a long time because I worked in the public sector in education. And I could basically tie a lot of my work to something that is universally seen as something good, which is taking care of and educating kids. But then you realize, you know, you, I, I went into the private sector and I realized like everything that I was doing is, you know, I, I even thought to myself, you know, empirically, is putting a lot of technology into classrooms actually good for kids? Um, I, I, I think you could make a pretty good uh, statement that it's actually not. Uh, it certainly hasn't led to us being happier as a society or even more productive. Um, and so, yeah, losing that it was a real big eye-opener for me because you, you search for meaning. I, I search for meaning. And having it removed from what I do at work and then really having things boiled down to I'm selling something that is you know, that is differentiated from its competitors, but maybe in a way that no one cares or, um, and, you know, you could probably solve the same problem 10 different ways. And um, so is there something special about what I do? Probably not. I mean, it puts food on the table and allows me to give it my church and allows me to have a life where I can then take, you know, take the, my time and, and spend it on people, which who are really important important enough that God himself incarn was incarnated as a human being and died uh, so that we could be with him. Um, you know, so yeah, that's a long answer to a short question, but I'm kind of the king yeah. of those. Yeah. So just the concept of coming out of denial into this revelation, like for the people that are listening, that, that's a process, right? Like, I really don't expect anybody listening in this 30 minutes to just have an epiphany and go, Oh, I'm coming out of denial. And like, just instantly come out of denial. Like God can completely work that miracle. And I expect him to do for somebody, but, um, you know, it's also something that you like, if you're like me, that like, I come back to the first step, like all day, every day, it's not something that was just instantaneously, transformed for me i just like i will come restless irritable discontent i'll get angry or i'll blow up on my kids or i'll say something harsh to my wife or any of these behaviors that i don't like about myself and then i'll realize like oh yeah i wasn't like 
I wasn't submitted to God in that moment. I was being selfish or I was being, you know, just protecting myself or, you know, I just wanted my kids to be quiet. So I record, record my cool podcast or whatever, right? Like it's all those things, right? That can get frustrating, but that's, that that's not really the real stuff, right? The real stuff is when I'm submitted to God and I can be gentle and kind and loving and can express stuff in ways that I never could before. Um, I think that is the, the portion that's there, right? So just kind of encourage everybody that it's a, it's a process. And what I love about the 12 steps is I can get to do them again and again and again. Like I, I never have to stop doing them. I can always chunk through stuff in my life back through. And I always start at step one because it's like, um, you know, that when you call support for your computer, right? The first question they ask is, is it plugged in? <laughs> right? Like, cause it's like astonishing how many times that question, like, is the correct question asked? Cause it's like, you know, is the TV plugged in? Is this plugged in? Like, that's the first question, right? Um, does your phone battery, is your, does your phone have power? Right? Like, that's always the first question, right? And that's uh, that's kind of my thing, right? Like, okay, that's the first thing I have to do. Uh, the second one is like acknowledge that God exists. You know that they just go through those things. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it it is a process, and I think I, I don't think any any of us have arrived. But I think yeah. I, mean, I think for me, just thinking looking back at it, I mean, it's a process that took even years to the beat to the point where you know that I would even be willing to to talk about that or have that conversation yeah about oh well, you know I mean it took it took a lot of conversations between the, just the two of us to to realize the, the my lack of control and how much how little of my of what I receive is actually because of my efforts and how much of it is because of God's grace and mercy um you know, the, our pastor for a long time, uh, my, well, my pastor for a long time, Steve, used to always say that like mercy is not getting what you deserve. Yeah. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that I don't get what I deserve. Yeah. One of my dear friends in recovery, uh, Jimmy, always used to say, um, like he would be like, upset and want to parade for doing well in, in recovery and his uh um sponsor would get go back like guys like us only get parades in front of judges right and i, I loved that analogy because that's like oh yeah yeah that's what i deserve right i deserve this i deserve all these judgments i don't deserve the life i have right now and that that one always comes back to me when i'm feeling like i need acknowledgement it's like oh yeah <laughs> The acknowledgement that I should be getting is like all this acknowledgement over this terrible things of my past, right? So, yep. um, and the theme of maybe we'll not work it out all at once. We're going to cover this uh, next week as well. There'll be a second week of uh, I'm not God, and you're probably not either. And the homework for next week is. Uh, what can you not stop uh, doing or what can you not start doing no matter how hard you try? So, well, you know, basically, is there something you 
want to do that you can never actually do exercise more read a book whatever right like some behavior you want to modify and do better or is there something like no matter how hard you try you can't stop doing you can't stop smoking you can't stop watching tv you can't stop yelling at the kids whatever that is right um and the second question is what areas of your life do you find yourself to be selfish yeah we we love to ask the easy questions that's, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to answering both of those questions yeah. when we start our next uh, one next week, our third one. So um, a lot of fun self-disclosure we get to do here uh, at our podcast, oh, yeah. Logan. Yes. I mean, this is my favorite part of, of, of uh, doing a, pub, a podcast. Can you talk about my failings on a, in a, in a public uh, forum that anybody can listen to no matter, and I can't control where I, I can't, can't control how, uh, how I project my, you know, myself to those people. So it's just absolutely wonderful, <laughs> but you know what? Um, it's, it's good. It's good. So well, once again, our prayer is that this, this time with us really encouraged you um and that you're able to take this into your life and with other people you know and have conversations and build relationships that can sustain us through life and really have the capacity to love one another the way god asked us to so thank Amen. you so much for listening